At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Tuesday, PFTPM. Been a while since I've done a PFTPM in this specific way, sitting at my desk with my cans on, with my ISDN line engaged, with the ability to talk as long as I want to talk. I don't want to talk too long. I don't want to keep you for too long. I do have an interview coming up with Jets safety, Jamal Adams. That's coming up momentarily. Going to try to do a little more structure this year. Going to try to make the days a little more predictable. I don't know how well that's going to actually work, but we'll do our best. On Tuesdays, what I want to do is review the power rankings, which are posted every Tuesday early afternoon. And I'm going to do awards. I tried to do awards a couple of years ago, and then I fell off the horse. And I, I don't want to be too cute with it or make it too complicated. I just want to keep it very simple. Simple, basic, straightforward. Offensive player of the week, defensive player of the week, coach of the week, game of the week, drive of the week. That's what I'm going to do this week. I reserve the right to change it every week. And I may get your input on what awards you would like me to do. But for now, offensive defensive coach game drive I think that'll work I've been hoping that the new pass interference replay review process would work there wasn't a major controversy coming out of week one but there could have been this one got lost in the shuffle late afternoon Sunday Five games were played in that 4.05 to 4.25 p.m. Eastern window. The failure to call pass interference did not, in all likelihood, affect the outcome of the game. But who knows? You'd have to go back to that point, change the call, and play it from that point forward. Buccaneers, 49ers. Bucks trailing late by 14. Less than a minute to play. Jameis Winston flushed out of the pocket. Rolls left. Nick Bosa pursuing. Jameis Winston fires the ball deep. Mike Evans near the goal line. Richard Sherman in coverage. Richard Sherman committing multiple forms of pass interference while the ball is coming in significantly hindering the ability of Mike Evans to make the catch. No flag is thrown. And then comes the inevitable replay review. And remember, during the final two minutes of either half, 
It's automatic replay review. It's supposed to be initiated by the replay assistant who's in the stadium, but the league office via Al River on the senior VP officiating also has the ability to step in and do it. So somebody flagged this for the full review. If the replay assistant does it, that means the replay assistant has seen enough to believe that there was pass interference. So the challenge happens, and based upon my understanding of how this is supposed to work, and look, I'm the one advocating for a very high bar. I'm the one who says it should be the the what-the-hell standard. This was a play where you watch it and you say, what the hell? Richard Sherman is keeping this guy from catching the pass. He didn't blow him up like Nikel Roby Coleman, but Richard Sherman is all over him. And unlike the Brandon Cooks play, see, if you're going to say, as Al Riveron has said when meeting with folks and explaining this new process, that Stephon Gilmore grabbing the arm of Brandon Cooks. Gilmore of the Patriots, Cooks of the Rams, Super Bowl 53, ball thrown into the end zone. Gilmore grabs the left arm of Cooks, but Cooks fights through it and gets his hands up and has a chance to catch the ball and looks like he's able to fight through it. If Riveron's going to tell people that that should have been pass interference and that that kind of play, if subject to replay review, would become pass interference, then this one clearly is pass interference. Because unlike the Gilmore Cooks play, where Cooks fights through it and still has a chance to catch the ball and is not clearly and obviously significantly hindered by the attempt to grab his arm, Mike Evans is clearly and obviously significantly hindered in his attempt. His arm is pulled down. His attempt to catch the ball is completely and totally screwed up by Richard Sherman, who's got his back to the ball. He's not trying to catch the ball. He's just trying to keep Mike Evans from catching it. Now, it was 31-17. The Bucs would have had the ball at the two or the three-yard line. They would have had to score a touchdown, onside kick, get it back, score again. But they should have at least had that chance. See, this is the problem. If that's not pass interference, then what the hell is? And how are you going to have consistency week in and week out unless that is? Because any time now that Al Riveron throws the flag for pass interference when it's not caught on the field, I'm going to say, how the hell is that different from Richard Sherman yanking, tugging, pulling, grabbing, molesting Mike Evans. And trust me, I don't want that flag to be thrown. If this is a product of the intense criticism that some have levied toward the league office for the apparent intent based upon the explanations given by Al Riveron to throw that flag... You're, you're, you're not allowing yourself to apply this as it's intended. This is supposed to cover the what the hell. And this was the what the hell. So, 
If that had been a one-score game, what do you do there? What's the reaction to that? I'm amazed this has not been a bigger deal. Doesn't bode well. Does not bode well for what's going to happen moving forward. Because like I said, when that flag does come out, you're going to have to explain why it's a flag there and why it wasn't a flag when Richard Sherman clearly and obviously significantly hindered the opportunity of Mike Evans to make the catch with no opportunity by Richard Sherman to be playing the ball. He was playing the guy aggressively. And hey, good for him. He got away with it. Right? It's only a foul if they call it. Richard Sherman wins. 49ers win by 14. 49ers don't have to sweat it out because they didn't drop the flag either in real time or via the effort of the league office after the fact. We do power rankings every Tuesday. And these things are great because people get so fired up. They get so fired up. And that's fine. I like it. Let's look at the biggest movers both directions. Packers jumped seven spots from 16 to 9. They deserve to. Packers had a great victory. Not a great offensive performance. An incredible defense. And a defensive effort. Led by Mike Pettin, the defensive coordinator, shutting the Bears down with only three points. Week two, we begin to find out how everything is going to fit together. Because the Packers are going to be hosting the Vikings. See, the one thing that I always say, week one, you don't know how good the team is that you lost to, and you don't know how bad the team is that you beat. All you know is you won. Are the Bears going to be bad? Are the Packers going to be good? Are the Vikings going to be good? Or are the Falcons going to be ass? Just don't know. We'll begin to find out this week. But the Packers move from 16 to number 9. The Titans move from 19 to number 12. They also did a 7-spot jump, and they deserve it. Now, the key for the Titans is going to be consistency. And they have to be consistent in order to be consistently in the top half of the league. For every riser, there's a team that drops. The biggest drop, and I'm looking here, scanning this, didn't do a whole lot of preparation in advance, really needed a nap. It had been a long, long week. There's got to be some drops here. If there's big climbs, I'm looking at the Bengals jumping six. I'm looking at the Raiders jumping six. Bengals now 23, Raiders 22. My cousin, the Raiders fan, is pissed that they aren't higher. You keep winning, you'll keep climbing. Don't complain about not being jumped from 28 all the way up to eight or something like that. I'm trying to see who really dropped. Oh, the Bears. Yeah, the Bears from five to 13. That's a big drop. The Steelers from nine to 14. That leaves a mark. Hey, and the first few weeks, there's wide vacillation. 
you can overcome a bad loss and not drop very much once you have racked up some wins. And, you know, if you're low and you upset somebody, you're not going to have a huge jump. We got to settle it all in. We got to get it all figured out over the first few weeks. I like to get to the point where there isn't much movement. I love the weeks where the top half of the power rankings, they all win. The bottom half, they all lose. Then I feel like I got it all sort of figured out. And these are meaningless. We've been doing them for years. They're actually easier to do than ever before. I don't know why, but I can fly through. I used to agonize over them. Now I can do the the whole thing with the the rankings and the smart-ass comment in about an hour to an hour and a half. And people enjoy them. So we'll continue to do them. Let's do some awards here, and then I'll let you hear what Jamal Adams had to say, and then I'll answer your questions. Offensive player of the week. Look, I know that the Dolphins, by all appearances, aren't an actual NFL team, but I still think Lamar Jackson deserves credit for what he did. And the Dolphins, as explained by Armando Salguero, the Miami Herald, and as spotted by Chris Sims in real time, they were not adjusting their defensive approach at all. They continued to dare Lamar Jackson to throw. And Lamar Jackson kept throwing. And they continued to dare him to throw. And he kept throwing. But Lamar Jackson was incredible. And like he said, not bad for a running back. Defensive player of the week. You go a lot of different ways on this one. Anthony Harris with two interceptions in the Vikings' win over the Falcons. Ending a potential touchdown drive that I don't know that it would have affected the outcome all that much, but one came in the end zone. The other one came on Atlanta's second drive of the game where it was a bad throw by Matt Ryan into traffic, but Anthony Harris gets to the right place at the right time, makes those two picks, and if I recall correctly, he's in his contract year and he's going to make himself some money. Look at what safeties are making. Oh, boy. Vikings better get him signed. How many guys can you sign? How many guys can you pay at a fairly high level? And Anthony Harris is one of those guys who got jammed into the starting lineup when Andrew Sandejo got injured and he became great. At some point, you have to trust that you've got other guys like that and you have to let some of these guys walk away or you don't have money left over to pay everybody you need to pay. Coach of the week, this is head coach or assistant coach, any coach. Got to give Dean Pease of the Titans some credit. Kevin Byard told me after the game and Chris Sims' review of the film confirmed they threw every coverage in the book at the Browns. And that's not easy to do. You got to have your guys coached up. Week one, to run every coverage, to keep your guys working in unison, to leave no holes in the defense, and to engineer a performance that baited Baker Mayfield into three interceptions in the fourth quarter. That's the most impressive showing of the week, 43-14 to 14 in Cleveland. And I know that it wasn't a blowout start to finish, but it ultimately became one thanks to the performance of that defense 
in the fourth and final corner. 15-13 became 43-13. Unbelievable. Game of the week had to be Texan Saints. Favorite fact of the week from that game, the first Monday night football game in the history of the franchise that had multiple lead changes in the final minute. Holy crap. Anytime that it's a barn game, and I got a group of family members and friends, we go down to my barn and watch the Monday night and Thursday night game. And that during during football season when things are kind of hectic, although I like it, I like my job, it beats working for a living, it does get hectic. That Monday night, Thursday night, being able to work but hang out and kind of enjoy life a little bit and have a couple drinks and smoke a cigar and eat some pizza or whatever we have down there. When the barn explodes with shouts of profanity and other yells of excitement, that's a good game. And the last men, oh my God, what a finish that was. And as we pointed out today on PFT Live, it shouldn't have been a great finish. It should have been 31-21 Saints. Drew Brees underthrew Ted Ginn, who was wide open, wide ass open. Third and two from their own 15. Go back and watch that. Ginn has to slow down and wait for it and gives the defender a chance to tackle him immediately. Otherwise, he's gone. You hit him in stride, it's 31-21 with 50 seconds left. See you later, Houston Texans. It wouldn't have been 50 seconds. They still had to... It would have been like two minutes. Yeah, it was right at the two-minute warning. Not enough time to score 10 points. Although, who knows? Crazier things have happened. Like what happened in the... I mean, the way the Texans moved the ball. Who would have ever dreamed when they got the ball with 50 seconds left that they'd score in two plays? What kind of defense are you running in New Orleans? What are you doing? Man coverage? Letting guys run right by you? 37 yards to DeAndre Hopkins, 38 yards. I know it was 38 to Hopkins, 37 to Kenny Stills. And in 13 seconds. Don't criticize the Texans for leaving too much time. How in the hell can you plan for that? Oh, we got 50 seconds. We got to go 75 yards. Oh, shit. We scored in 13 seconds. And it was a masterful drive by the Saints to get in position to kick the game-winning field goal. And as Peter King pointed out today on PFT Live, the value of having a kicker who can get it done. In this day and age when not having that ego and confidence-boosting extra point where you come out and you bang it through, you don't have that. Every kick is a challenge. Every kick is a fight. You never get that, you know, if you miss a field goal, then there's a touchdown, boom, all right, I still got it. I can still put it through the pipes, 19 yards, boom. You got to try to miss one of those. Now, constant stress, 33-yard field goal, 45-yard field goal, touchdown, 33-yard field goal. Great game. Drive of the week, too. That's my last one, drive of the week, and it had to be that Saints drive at the end. Has to be. 37 seconds in position to win the game. And it was a little dicey. Tick, 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 tick. Play started at 20 seconds. Play ended with a spike. Play ended and then the spike came. Could have called the timeout right after that play and then would have had to hurry up and hustle to the line to get a spike 
after that next play if you kept it in bounds, but too close for comfort. And look, to the extent that people want to complain about the officiating that is directed to the Saints, and they had that embarrassing sequence at the end of the first half where they took, as a practical matter, 15 seconds away from the Saints because they didn't reset the clock to where it was at the end of the play before they took the 10-second runoff. Watch the linesman who comes in as Ted Ginn catches the ball and falls to the ground. That person immediately is calling timeout. That's not an automatic timeout situation. But with watch the arms. It's like, holy shit, call a timeout or we're not going to get out of here alive. We can't. No, no. Maybe he wasn't calling timeout. It was like, no, don't go to zero. No, no. They know where we live. What a game, what a drive. And I guess in most weeks, the game of the week and the drive of the week are going to come from the same thing. But who knows? And we'll take nominations in the future. And if you want to do different awards, maybe we'll do different awards. For now, Offensive Player of the Week, Lamar Jackson. Defensive, Anthony Harris. Coach, Dean Pease. Game of the Week, Texans Saints. Drive of the Week, the game winner. I said today that big picture observation of Week 1, it had a little bit of everything. Other than the A-B stuff, sucking all the oxygen out of the room, Week 1 had a little bit of everything. It was a variety pack. A little overtime tie, a little overtime team wins. Exciting game Monday night, a couple of blowouts, a couple of injuries that potentially alter the course of a team season. A little bit of everything. Sign up to be an Overwards member today and earn one point for every dollar spent. Receive your rewards twice as fast and on the go when you provide your email address. Overwards members get $5 back for every $150 they spend. It's fast, it's easy, and it's free. Only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store or orewards.com for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. I spoke earlier today with Jamal Adams, the Jets' safety. Disappointing week one outcome for the Jets, but promising young defensive player who already is regarded as one of the finest safeties in the NFL. Here is my conversation from earlier today with Jamal Adams. Joining us now, one of the finest safeties in the National Football League. I was going to say young safeties, but young, old, or in between. Jamal Adams is among the very best, and he is back on the program. Jamal, how are you, pal? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. I saw doing the research, because I do research. we got to be ready for these. I saw that you were number 37 on the top 100 list of NFL players for 2019. How high is that going to go for 2020? Uh, man, you know, each and every year we're trying to, you know, uh, get better so you know hopefully it goes up uh, that's definitely my plan but um, at the end of the day I'm, I'm all about the team and our success man you've had a lot of individual success though and this is only your third NFL season what's the biggest reason why you've been so good so quickly just just putting time and effort into it a lot of sacrifice man uh, a lot of sacrifice as far as you know family time uh, as far as you know uh, doing doing things outside of you know football outside of the facility um, just just having that focus, man, I think that's that's what, you know, helped me, you know, get get over the top my second year um, as far as, you know, uh, you know, reaching the Pro Bowl, um, getting the MVP of the Pro Bowl and um, things like that. So it's always it's always good to, you know, uh, put out goals for yourself and and just going to reach them, doing whatever it takes to reach them. Where do you keep the trophy that you get for being MVP of the Pro Bowl? <laughs> it was crazy, man. They didn't even give us the trophy, man. 
I thought they had a trophy. Nah, we didn't even get a trophy. Me and Pat just got a car. <laughs> well, that's even better. It's a trophy yeah, you can drive even better. around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's the trophy, man. We got the car in the parking lot, man. Yeah, well, that's good. Congratulations on that. Now, look, week one, hey, it, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. How long does it take you to get over a game like the one that unfolded on Sunday? Yeah, it takes 24 hours for me, man. Maybe maybe 27 hours. <laughs> I can put it like that. But, man, like you said, you hit it um, and you answered it um, in the right way. Man, it, it happened. It didn't roll our way um, like we wanted, but it's just one game. Um, and it's not the end of the world. We have another opportunity um, Monday night on prime time, and we're looking forward to that, man. I saw that you said yesterday the energy died for the Jets on Sunday. What was it specifically that caused that to happen? You know, I, I can't answer that, but I, I think, you know, as a defense, um, you know, I just speak for the defense. I, I never speak on the offense because um, they have a, a tough test at hand, but we got we to gotta finish, uh, you know, opponents when we have them down and, um, we just got to, you know, continue to, you know, do what we did in the first half. And, you know, I, I, I definitely challenged the group um, to, to continue to do that, um, to continue to get better off of that. Um, and we'll, we'll be fine, man. I, I'm, 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 I definitely have no doubt in my mind that we'll, ba- we'll bounce back from it. Jamal, what do you carry away from what happened Sunday that will help you as a team moving forward? Just finishing, man. We got to finish. That, that, that's what I take from it. Um, when you have them down, uh, opponent down, you definitely got to continue to go at them and, uh, you know, make sure, make sure that the game is over with. C.J. Mosley was a force of nature in his first game with the team, suffered a groin injury and exited. What impact did that have on the defense? Yeah, it's tough losing, you know, a guy like C.J. Um, he, was playing, he was playing lights out. Um, obviously, everybody knows he's a beast. And, um, but it's, it's next man up mentality. You know, everybody gets coached the same. Um, everybody gets the same nuggets, the same notes um, on game days and, and, and at practice. Um, so it's next man up philosophy. Um, you know, I, I know CJ will be fine. He, he'll be back sooner or later. Um, and we're, look, we're looking forward to having him back out there. Give me the best thing you guys did as a defense that you can point to and say, we can carry this over and this is going to help us be as good as we can be. Turnovers. We had four plus turnovers. Really should have had about six. Um, but we had we had a lot of turnovers, man. Anytime you can do that as a defense, you put your your team in a better uh, predicament to win ball games. You know, one thing that didn't go right for the Jets on Sunday: a couple of missed kicks. Do you say anything to the kicker when he misses an extra point or a field goal? No, nah, it's not my place, man. I, I know it's a, it's a tough uh, job at hand, um, and I don't know what's going through uh, kickers' minds. Uh, but that's that's not my job. That's not my you know. My place, all I can do as a teammate is just to lift him up and uh, continue to, you know, help him stay positive. One new teammate you have this year, running back Le'Veon Bell. What's been your impression of him so far? Everything that, you know, I, I thought about Le'Veon uh, before he came here. Um, he, he, he's the whole package. Uh, but not only, not only is he a good football player, he's a hell of a teammate, hell of a person off the field. And uh, I don't think many people uh, give him the recognition um, as far as that. Sam Darnold entering year two. You've gotten to watch him very carefully during his NFL career. What's different about him this year versus last year? Yeah, his, his poise and, and, and his confidence. I think that's the main thing uh, that sticks out for me. And I know he's going to continue to get better each and every week. And um, I, I know he's, uh, he, he's looking forward to each and every matchup um, to go out there and compete uh, because he, he's definitely one of those competitors. 
Does it get feisty during practice? Greg Williams is a guy that likes to stir the pot a little bit. Has that sparked more of a rivalry in-house between defense and offense? Yeah, it's definitely fun to go out there each and every each and every day, really, man, and go out there and compete. That's all we do. Um, that's what makes us better as a group. And um, like I said, man, anytime you can go out there and compete um, on both sides of the ball, that's what makes the team, um, you know, better in the long run. So uh, anytime we're out there, it's, it's definitely a show. What's the craziest thing you've heard Greg Williams say? <laughs> man, nothing, nothing crazy, man. I, that's gonna stir up. That's gonna stir up a lot of stuff, man. So I'm gonna just stay away from that. <laughs> uh, the uh, the Browns are coming up on Monday night. You mentioned that primetime game. You faced yeah. the Browns last year. You saw Baker Mayfield. What what did you learn from him last year that will help you this year? Yeah, Baker is a is a, is a hell of a competitor, man. I I love that about him. Um, he's a guy that's gonna get his get his troops uh, ready to play, and um, he's gonna he's gonna compete. He's gonna bring energy. So. Um, all game long, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of trash talking, I already know. Uh, so I can tell you that, you know, we're just looking forward to the challenge. Have you seen this thing about Odell Beckham Jr. and the watch that he wore on Sunday, $350,000 watch? Yeah. yeah, I definitely did. Apparently he's going to wear that Monday night. Now, if if it were me out there, forget about trying to tackle the guy. I'm taking that watch, and I'm sticking it down the back of my pants, and I don't know where it is. <laughs> you going to try to do that? Hey, man, I, I'm not worrying about his watch, man. We just got to get him down <laughs> to the best of our ability. Um, the, uh, the Cleveland Browns have all that hype coming into the season. I got the impression the Titans had maybe heard a little bit enough of it going into week one. Are you sick of hearing about how good the Browns are supposed to be? Man, again, I'm not I'm – not, our focus is, is on the Browns, but our focus is, you know, in the locker room, in the, in the building, man. We're just focused on the Jets, uh, focused on how we can get better. Uh, but that, that is definitely – um, opponent that, that, that we have up next and uh, they're, they're well coached, uh, have a lot of superstar talent on that side and uh, we're just looking forward to you know competing with those guys. You know, get your first look at Josh Allen in his second year. He was another guy taken in the top 10 like Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield. Did you see anything significantly different about him this year than what you saw last year? No, not at all really, man. He, he's, he's a competitor as well and um, it was fun competing against him. Jamal Adams is here today on behalf of Lunatics, the only ticket site that lets fans reserve playoff tickets for any team in any game all year long, and they're giving out golden tickets to fans across the country. Whoever gets the golden ticket will receive two tickets to every home playoff game in their city in any sport, including the Super Bowl, through the end of next year. My goodness. Where do people learn more about this Lunatics program, Jamal? Man, go to lunatics.com, man. You hit it, man. It's the best, the best ticket site out there. Um, man, if you want a great experience, um, as, a, as a sports fan, um, to, to witness your team, I advise you to go on lunatics.com. It's very simple, man. So if somebody wins this and they get the golden ticket and they live in New York, are they going to be going to New Jersey to see a Jets game uh, in January? Hey, man, it, we'll worry about that when the time comes. <laughs> all right, Jamal. Hey, buddy, congratulations on all your success. We look forward to seeing what you guys do on Monday night and for the rest of the 2019 season. Uh, again, best wishes, congratulations, and we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, buddy. All right, thanks for Jamal Adams, including us on that tour that he did on behalf of Lunatics, L-U-N-A-T-I-X.com. Intriguing golden ticket program. They steal that from the office? Remember Michael Scott and his golden ticket idea? And it blew up in his face. 
So he was trying to get Dwight to take the fall, and then when it turned out to be a good thing, he tried to take credit back from Dwight, and Dwight refused. That's actually a pretty good episode. That was in that gulf where they weren't as good as they used to be, but that one was pretty good. Time to answer some of your questions and then wrap this thing up. Tom G. Post. Pro Football Focus ranked Miami's offensive line as the worst in the NFL, even prior to the Tunsil trade. Is it possible they're doing Rosen a favor by not playing him? Well, yeah, if you're getting thrown to the Wolves. I know that the Texans made the Dolphins an offer they couldn't refuse, but they are the one team who, if they do this trade, it feeds into the perception that they are tanking. And they are. They're taking their lumps now with the goal of building it up next year. Get the number one overall pick in the draft. Get yourself a franchise quarterback. And I saw MDS made a point today, and he's right. The last team to use that for, I think the only team, right, to use the first overall pick in the draft on a quarterback who won a Super Bowl may not be the only team, but there's only been one since Peyton Manning. And it is Peyton Manning 21 years ago. The first overall picks in the draft since then have not been quarterbacks who've won the Super Bowl. But if you have a quarterback who allows your team to contend year in and year out, that's the key. That's how you make money. That's how you're viable as an NFL franchise. Remember, it's not about winning the Super Bowl. They say, hey, we want to win the Super Bowl. Oh, what's successful to you? Oh, win the Super Bowl. Of course. Successful season. Win the Super Bowl. If that's your standard, you're pissed off a lot. A lot. So, you want to have a quarterback that keeps you relevant. You want to contend every year. You want to be a team that is viable and in the hunt. And with a franchise quarterback, that happens. Even though the Colts only won one Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, they were viable far more often than not. Starting in 1999, his second season, viable, successful, playoffs. If you can just be alive week 17 every year, you don't have to get in every year. It helps to get in, but that's what you're looking for. And that's why the Dolphins are taking a step back this year in the hopes of being that team that has a quarterback that can get them in the mix every year. Valleyman 12. Has Curtis Crabtree ever awakened you in the middle of the night over a major story breaking? No, he has not. If That's why he's on, right? If there's a major story, he handles it. If follow-up needs to be done, I'll do it in the morning. I got to get my my beauty rest so I don't have Sims telling me I look tired. PFTPM Posse, why did the Browns trade their best offensive lineman guard Kevin Zeitler to the Giants when their offensive line is atrocious by all appearances? Are they trying to ruin our boy Baker by getting him killed like Deshaun? Hey, I, you know, they got to a point where they just decided that Zeitler, where he was in his contract, it just was, it was too much. So they, they opted instead to take on a pass rusher because that was part of the throw-in, right? Remember, it was going to be Zeitler for Olivier Vernon, straight up, I think. But then that deal got folded into the broader Odo Beckham Jr. trade. But instead of paying the expensive back end of Zeitler's contract, they're going to pay the expensive back end of Olivier Vernon's contract. And, you know, they could have held firm, and maybe Vernon would have been cut. But then you have to go out and compete with others to get him. 
Not that that's a great contract to trade for. Jerry Bissett, besides a crappy run organization, what was AB free of? A team that wanted him, a team that was willing to pay an aging receiver $30 million? He is such a dumpster fire, dump, dumpster, dumpster fire, dumpster fire, who his grandma or relatives need to see if he needs mental help. I, you know, I'm not big into the AB needs mental help. I don't like to throw that around recklessly. I'd like to think that someone with those resources has someone in his inner circle. I don't know. Maybe it's like the emperor's new clothes and nobody has the guts because they don't want to get cut off. Nobody has the guts to say, you know, maybe you need to talk to somebody. I think he's more like noted mafioso Vincent Chin Gigante. Guy who used to walk around in bathrobe and slippers. Acted like he was out of it. And then as soon as he was out of view of the feds, he was the Don. I think there's a switch that Antonio Brown can flip when he wants to. He wanted out of Pittsburgh. He flipped the switch and dyed his mustache blonde. Got out of Pittsburgh. Wanted out of Oakland. He flipped the switch. Back again. Started posting fine letters on social media. Agitating. Hey, if this guy's using a social media consultant to get out of Oakland, he knows what he's doing. The question becomes, is he in exclusive control of that switch? Or will that switch get loose and flip on its own? The first time he gets it from Bill Belichick, and maybe Bill Belichick will never give it to him. We were talking about that today. Maybe Bill Belichick will never yell at him in a meeting room, even if he deserves it. The question is, what if he shows up late? What if he's not paying attention? Maybe, he will, maybe he'll be so in awe. This is the Chris Sims theory because he worked there. You walk through the door and you're just in awe. You're so in awe of everything that you comply. And maybe that's what he needs. Maybe he needs someone and somewhere that just expects him to act a certain way. He knows there's no room for deviation. So, again, I'm not ready to assume that this guy is having some sort of mental episode because he had two of them that coincided with his desire to get out of the two teams he got out from. And also, you get fired by three teams or you force your way out of three teams in one year, who's going to want you? Who's going to want you? Andrew Ye, what did you think of Demarcus Lawrence not giving an autograph to the Giants fan? I, I I don't know. I don't know. I'm not aware of it, but he doesn't play for the Giants. So there's a chance that there was... I don't know. I don't want to comment on it without knowing the full context. I'll take a look at it, and if if it bothers me, then I'll say something about it. J. Randall 15, have you heard the story your internet son posited that allegedly A.B. didn't go into the cryotherapy chamber, but instead do an ice bar and didn't wear the proper footwear? What's an ice bar? I'm too old to know what an ice bar is. All I know is he didn't wear the proper footwear. And there hasn't been any significant dispute to the idea that he was in a cryotherapy chamber. It's Tariq. Thoughts on Sunday Night Football's upcoming matchup between the Eagles and the Falcons? Well, Falcons don't look pretty good. Now, the Eagles were getting thumped by Washington until they turned it around. 
with Deshaun Jackson busting things open. Quarterback Carson Wentz told me after the game that was the moment it turned, and they didn't panic when things were very sluggish for the offense and the defense. My early lean is the Eagles. Matt Ryan didn't look good against the Vikings, and again, we don't know. Maybe this is the best defense that the Falcons are going to see all year. Maybe that's the one defense that was able to to shut this offense down. Teams get better, teams get worse. Very few teams stay the same. But I would say the Eagles are the, the more likely of the two to win the game. Should be a good game, though. Falcons don't want to fall to 0-2. Eagles, they're going to need to pile up the wins because the Cowboys look like they're going to be pretty good. Dean Osborne, 42, is DeAndre Hopkins, the most terminally underrated receiver in football. This guy is amazing, and he is. My God, some of the plays he made last night. Had a couple of, I don't know that I want to call them drops, but a couple of plays that usually he makes. Usually he makes. That catch, though, on the 38-yarder, first play of that two-play 75-yard drive, is just amazing. There are moments where he is man among boys. Frank Chavawee. Do you think the Cowboys are going to pay Dak soon or wait till the end of the year and make him one of the highest paid players in the NFL? If he keeps his upward trend, he would deserve it at the end of the year, not just because of his play, but leadership as well. Look, this guy has started 49 regular season games out of 49. He's played more games than Jared Goff. He's played more games than Carson Wentz. And if he gets to the end of the year, the injury risk goes from him to the team. Once he sheds the injury risk, You sit back and wait for Patrick Mahomes to do his deal. And you just come in a couple million or less beneath Patrick Mahomes. That's what you do. That's what the Cowboys need to realize. The longer they wait, the more expensive it's going to get. Because the closer you get to the end of this year, the more the rubber band's going to get stretched by Patrick Mahomes, the easier it's going to be for Dak Prescott to fall in line behind it. And we may be careening toward franchise tag for 20 20, 20% raise for 2021, and then who knows what happens in 2022. It's a 43% raise or transition tag, and you got the right to match. You let the market set what Dak Prescott's pay is going to be, and then you decide whether or not to match it. You don't get compensation if he leaves, or you just let him go. See, you can do transition tag for the third year, and only gonna you're only going to see it bump by 20%. Not 44. So they need to do this or they're going to get themselves into a potentially ugly situation. And they're potentially going to activate the Kirk Cousins plan. And keep this in mind. The... The availability of a fourth franchise tag is in dispute. Let's say the Cowboys do go ahead and tag him once, tag him twice, franchise tag him a third time, pay the 44% raise. Now, the next time it'd be another 44% raise, we'd be getting into astronomical numbers, but there is a point potentially where you can't tag him anymore. Or at least you can't franchise tag him anymore. It's possible, arguably, you can do three franchise tags and then a transition tag. But if Dak continues to hold firm and won't give in to the team's desire for him to take less than what he thinks he can get. This gets very interesting. If he's willing to carry the injury risk, and he hasn't been injured at all during his career, 
Jerry Bissett, how's your first week of fantasy? Saturday, I started Tom Brady for Baker Mayfield. Glad I did, LOL. I, I won. Nobody cares, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Big Cat, I hope you're listening. I won in my family league. I lost in my barn league. And I thought I had, I had the first overall pick in the draft in my barn league, but Saquon Barkley only got 15 touches. What the hell? My family league, I had like 141 points. I went with Kyler Murray over Mitch Trubisky. That ended up being a good idea. I benched out of my flex spot in that league Mark Ingram. I was pissed at first, but I had gone with Deshaun Jackson. I just wish I would have trusted Mark Ingram to be one of my two main running backs instead of Leonard Fournette. Then it would have been great. Then it would have been like 160, 170 points. So I'm 1-0 and I'm 0-1. Jerry Bissett, I'm all about people living their best life and being happy. That being said, anyone else tired of AB? It's fascinating, and our traffic suggests no. People love it. They can't get enough of it. This is the ultimate reality show's ultimate reality show. As the Antonio turns. Jerry Bissett, I don't remember. How did Deflategate and Spygate end up? I don't think the Patriots are doing anything different than anyone else is doing. They're just good at it. Thoughts? Everybody is aggressively interpreting and applying the rules. I think the Patriots aggressively interpreted and applied the rules as it relates to the courtship of Antonio Brown. And there's plenty of cheating that happens, even though the Patriots have been caught. And see, when the Patriots get caught, the people who hate them, the people who resent them, the people who can't compete with them insist that they get whacked. And there's this perception the Patriots cheat because when you're the coach of a team that can't beat the Patriots, when it's time to explain to your bosses why you can't beat the Patriots, instead of saying they're just better than us, it's easy to say they cheat. It's not that they work harder, they work smarter. They do a better job of scouting players who fit their system. They do a better job of coaching those guys up. They do a better job of holding people accountable, ensuring that there's the appropriate procedures in place on game days and everything you need to do to win, 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 win. No, they cheat. That's why they're better. We always cover up our own inadequacies by assuming someone else is doing something wrong. Bullshit, I say, because plenty of cheating happens throughout the NFL. Plenty of it goes undetected. The NFL doesn't have the resources to catch it. And the NFL doesn't have the desire to catch a bunch of cheaters and then tell the world how corrupt these teams can be. The cheating happens in the NFL. And what? I mean, look. The Patriots have launched the greatest portion of their greatest run over the past 20 years that we've seen in league history since Deflategate. Since Deflategate, they've been to all but one Super Bowl. Since Deflategate, they've won three. They've doubled their haul since Deflategate. Dean Osborne, 42. Do you think we will ever find out the truth about why Malcolm Butler was benched in Super Bowl 52? He has so far been very magnanimous in not criticizing Bill Belichick. Yeah, I, I don't... Look... There's all sorts of theories floating around. I really believe at the end of the day, Bill Belichick thought he could win that game without Malcolm Butler. He didn't like the fact that Malcolm Butler hadn't accepted the contract offer that the team made, and he was going to prove a point. That's my theory. That he wanted to show that we can win without Malcolm Butler, and he overplayed his hand. Because there are people who think they definitely would have won that game if Malcolm Butler played. 
Tyler Furness, do you believe the Kubiak offense could be the key to unlocking Kirk Cousins' potential? His most successful season was with Kyle Shanahan in a play-action-heavy zone-blocking offense. Well, yeah, look, I, I've been joking about uh, 10 passes for Kirk Cousins. The Vikings have figured out how best to use him, and the answer is as infrequently as possible. But how much of their offense did they have to show last week to get that win? What are the Packers going to try to take away? Let me tell you, good luck taking away Dalvin Cook and Alexander... Uh, what's his last name? Is it uh, Madison? Yeah, Alexander Madison. I'm thinking the, def- the the former Secretary of Defense, James Mattis. Alexander Madison, the Boise State third-round draft pick of the Vikings, who has the same burst. They do that sweep. I think I saw a pitch out. I think I saw an old-school pitch out from Kirk Cousins. Those guys get to the edge... And they just explode. You got the one cut running in the zone blocking where the, the offensive linemen move in unison. You see the opening and you just you plant your foot and you go. A lot of effective sweep plays by the Vikings. And remember, it's not just a team setting up its opposition within the course of a given game. You're setting up future opponents. You're thinking about the next team, the next team, the next team. What are they going to think we're doing, and how do we pull the rope-a-dope on them? But they didn't have to show very much at all of their passing playbook, and that's going to bode well, I think, on Sunday against the Vikings or against the Packers. Remember last year, Week Two, Lambeau Field, they had that epic. I think it was 29-29 tie. Probably less scoring this week, but who knows? You never know. See, don't fall victim to the idea that we think we've figured it all out based on one week because we haven't. We know that by now, don't we? A Red Zone Alk, is J.J. Watt missing Jadavion Clowney? Possibly. The only time I heard Watt's name last night was when he got strangled by Ryan Ramchick. Dean Osborne, 42, did you stay up until the end of the Raiders-Broncos game and then get up usual time for PFT Live? If so, hats off to you, sir. No, I didn't. I, I went to bed at halftime. I needed to, man. I was so freaking tired. I had to get... What did I end up getting? I got five and a half hours of sleep last night, roughly. And took a nap today for about an hour and 15 minutes. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling as good as I can right now. The Tuesday of week one. Well, Tuesday of week two. It's going to start flying by, man. Boom. Next Sunday. You know, five days, we're there. Week two. And as we process week two, who here comes week three. As we process week three, here comes week four. You know how it goes. And then here comes Halloween. And before you know it, we're into November. And then it's Thanksgiving. And holy shit, the season's almost over. So let's enjoy it. Let's relish every day. It's going to be a fun season. Fittis and Kane, do you think OBJ has a victim complex? I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze him. All I know is this. He gets unfairly criticized in comparison to other players. But he also does plenty of things to put himself in a bad spot. Who gives a shit about wearing a watch during a game? How is the the hue and cry that was out there about Antonio Brown? Hey, Antonio Brown, just, just pick a helmet that the NFL has approved and wear it. How is that any different from this idea that OBJ should just wear not wear the watch? Take the watch off. And the NFL says it's a safety issue. It's also an infringement on the NFL's sponsorship deals. I'm surprised they haven't led with that. He was all very discreet. We've talked reportedly. They, you know, and, and this kind of pissed me off because I asked the NFL Sunday night for comment on this and they didn't say anything. But they leaked to their employee. We've spoken to OBJ and the Browns about this. We've spoken to him. What's there to say? He violated the rules or he didn't. 
And if it's a violation of the rules, fine him. And he's out there providing free publicity to whoever made this $350,000 watch. On the same weekend, Rafael Nadal is wearing one of them during the U.S. Open. Do you think that's a coincidence? That is great viral and organic marketing for the company that sells $350,000 watch. Now, I don't know how many people are out there saying, well, I got to go buy myself a $350,000 watch. But let me tell you, the people who can afford to do it, they're probably thinking about it. And Invicta is the company that has a watch licensing deal with the NFL. They got to be pissed off. We're paying for the watch relationship. And this other company is getting all the free pub. And I'd like to say I'm deliberately not mentioning the naming there. I can't remember what it was. Like, why does it matter to me? It's not like I'm looking at it and saying, well, I got to remember that one for my Christmas list. Why would you spend that much? Why? Why? Think about what you could do. Who cares? I mean, are, are we... Look, I, I don't care what people spend their money on, Right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, along with the inalienable right to screw up your life if you want to. But we wonder that why these guys end up with no money. What do you do with a $350,000 watch when your savings are depleted? And I don't know, maybe OBJ's already got enough money put away that it's never going to be an issue. But even if you do, $350,000 for a watch? And why do you need to wear it during a game? You need to know what time it is? You late for something? It makes no sense to me. You want to look cool? That's what it is? And I understand that's the mindset in your 20s. Hey, I want to look cool. This is badass. This is a badass watch. I got a $350,000 watch and I'm wearing it during a game. I am cool. And I want everybody to think I'm cool and I want everybody to talk about me wearing my $350,000 watch. But, but, don't talk about me too much. I don't want too much attention. I want everybody to look at me, but I want to reserve the right to say, what are you looking at? I like OBJ as a player, but he's got to grow up. He's got to mature. That's not a mature decision. And maybe he didn't pay for it. Hey, if it's Ray, you know what? Company that makes $350,000 watch, you give me one of those, I'll wear it on Football Night in America. I'll wear it on PFT Live every damn day. I'll wear it during the PFT PM podcast, even if it's not on camera. I'll wear it anywhere and everywhere. I'll have it attached to my wrist permanently. So, I don't know. Maybe he didn't pay for it. It's got to be something like that, where the watch is free or they're paying him for him to keep doing it. Or he's done a deal. You know, that may be the other thing, too. He's done a deal with that company. He's gotten the payment, and he doesn't want to give it back. That's why he's going to continue to wear it, even though the NFL's told him not to. All right, what else do we have here? A red zone out. Could the Patriots set an early test for Antonio Brown by not playing him in Miami on Sunday? Uh, yeah, yes. A nice little early litmus test or litmus, litmus test, as Chris Sims said last year. Litmus test. God, he cracked me up last week when I used the term run roughshod. And he said to me, is it rough shop or rough shot? And it's like, well, Chris, actually, it's neither. It's roughshod. Litmus test. If he doesn't play in week two, how will he handle it? I think the threshold litmus test 
for Antonio Brown, if they don't give him number 84, how's he going to react? And we posted a story today about him possibly not getting 84. And he liked that. He clicked the little like button on Twitter. What does that mean? And he still doesn't have a number. He's going to practice tomorrow. He doesn't have a number. And this is a marketing opportunity for him and the Patriots. Let's get this figured out. Well, Ben Watson wears number 84, and the league doesn't let you change numbers once the season begins. Has the season begun for Ben Watson because he's suspended? I don't know. How hard is he pushing this? If I'm Antonio Brown, I say, just give me whatever number you want. 81, 82, whichever number in the 80s is available. Or maybe maybe 14, if that's available. I forgot that receivers can wear numbers now in the teens. It's, it's only been that way for, what, 17 years? I got the Patriots roster up here. I got the numbers. Let's see. 14 is available. Just wear 14. Can't wear 84, wear 14. 15 is available. 17 is available. 19 is available. I don't know what numbers have been retired by the Patriots, but there's there's options there. Just not 87. You never know when 87 is going to need that one. Stephen A., I am betting on the 2020 Democratic candidate. Who do you got? Stephen, let me tell you this. I have enjoyed being extremely busy over the last week. It was a week ago that I flew to Chicago for our three-day visit there. And I love Chicago. Can't wait to go back. Chicago is an awesome city. Great hospitality. Great food. Now, I don't know about December, January, or February in Chicago, but I loved my time there. But let me say this. I have enjoyed being so busy over the last week that I have not paid any attention whatsoever to politics. And I want to keep it that way. Although I'm kind of relieved that John Bolton's out as the national security advisor because I feel like that guy was destined to drag us into a war somewhere. And look, say what you will about the commander-in-chief. And I have a concern. I'm going to say, why did you do this to me, Stephen A.? I know I'm thinking about it and I'm talking about it and I can just feel it wearing me down. I'm just going to say this. For, For those of you who don't want to hear politics plug your ears for 30 seconds and then i'll get back to football ready start now go i got 30 seconds i fear that the commander-in-chief currently is going to be very dangerous to himself to the country to the world if he loses next november and continues to be the president between early november and inauguration day in january that's my fear all right Back to back to football. Lucas Grabenot. Who are, in your opinion, the three teams who will have a completely different opinion, whether it's right or wrong, a week from now? I don't want to go down that path. I don't know. That's part of the fun of week two. I don't know. The Bears? A little extra time to go prepare for the Broncos on a short week, coming off of a disappointing loss to a Raiders team they thought they were going to beat? Maybe the Bears? Maybe the Vikings if they lose in Green Bay? I don't know. Again, that's the fun of week two. And and I, I'm not really focused on week two yet. This is still the aftermath of week one. All right, I got to wrap this up. We've been going for about an hour. It's almost been an hour. Oh, and you throw on Jamal Adams, it's over an hour. Burn unit.
Do you personally think it will work with AB in New England? I don't think Antonio will be able to help himself. Gets back to what I was saying. Can he flip the switch and control it? Flip it on, blonde mustache. Flip it off, everything's fine. Flip it on, freeze your feet. Fight over the helmet. Leave training camp. Flip it off, model citizen in New England. I keep thinking of the line that Daryl used on Kelly in the office when they were dating. You need to access your uncrazy side. Antonio Brown has an uncrazy side and a crazy side. The question is, is he in control of that transformation? Or is it Jekyll and Hyde, Bruce Banner, Incredible Hulk? Do you control it completely? Or does it happen even if you're not trying to make it happen? That's the real question. Dr. J144, how concerned should the Buccaneers fans be that Jameis Winston hasn't improved with turnover issues after a full offseason with Bruce Arians? Well, you know, Arians spent a lot of time on Monday making excuses for Winston. Two of the interceptions weren't his fault. Blamed one of them on Mike Evans. One was a, a ball that bounced off the hands of O.J. Howard. Still, interceptions are interceptions. And he had three. And two were returned for touchdowns. Andrew, 1TM, could you foresee an in-season change for the Steelers at offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator if they continue to struggle? I mean, like anything's possible. And here's the thing. They announced that Mike Tomlin contract extension during the offseason. I think that was done with one goal in mind. To get us all not thinking about Mike Tomlin being on the hot seat. If they want to move on from him after this year, all they did was add another year to his buyout. If they want to move on, they can and if it's a disaster this year, who knows? Andrew, 1TM, I saw a lot of ads for Sunday Ticket this weekend. Do you think AT&T and DirecTV is scared that this is the last year? I, they're not, the NFL is not cutting the cord. They're going to take the $1.5 for 2021 and 2022. The question is, who do they sell the streaming rights to? I, I'm convinced that Sunday Ticket's not going anywhere, even though maybe AT&T and DirecTV would like to shed that $1.5 I think they're aggressively promoting it because... They may not be making the money to justify it. Although, if they would ever lose it... I, listen, I, I've got two DirecTV accounts at my house. One in the barn and one in the house. And I'm already planning, after the season ends, to get rid of the one in the barn. And get, like, PlayStation View or YouTube or something like that. Stream. Because we've got very, very strong internet now. We've got fiber. And we've got a thing that beams it straight down to the barn. And it's awesome down there. We're going to try that. If it works down there, we're going to do it up here. DirecTV is too damn expensive. And it's either that or I can't even remember who the cable provider is here. But the problem is we're up on a hill and it's at the end of the line. And it's not very good uh, reception by the time that the signal gets sucked up here. But I'd love to dump DirecTV. And the moment Sunday ticket's gone is the moment that I think thousands, if not tens of thousands, will dump DirecTV. So they better hold on to it or that that company is going to crater. CZ Wall, do you like the Joe T. Booger McFarland Monday Night Football booth? Is 2019 the year of waiting for Peyton? Look, I, I don't. I'm, I don't. You know, I get into nothing but trouble if I comment on the quality or lack thereof of broadcast at other networks. It, it is what it is. You know, it's, it's, I enjoy watching the games and there's nothing about the Monday night football setup that, that causes me to want to turn off the sound. So I'm fine with it. 
CZ Walt, how many times did you get whacked by Rodney Harrison on Sunday? Once. Just once. Once, maybe twice. Once on the set at the end of the segment that we do. We do a segment at the end of the day, right after halftime of the Sunday night football game, where the four of us have a topic. Mike Tarico, Tony Dungy, Rodney Harrison, me. We each have a topic. Nobody else knows what topic the other one has. We go through those, and then there's a speed round that Mike Tarico leads us through. And that ends up being about a 20-minute conversation. It ends up on the Mike Tarico podcast. It ends up on YouTube. We put the clip on PFT when we use the the various videos that you see on the website. And that's a lot of fun. It's very informative. Great insight from Mike, from Tony, from Rodney. And, uh, you know, I'm part of it, too. I balance it out. My stupid takes make up for their their great insight. Dr. J144, what's the disincentive to tanking in the NFL? Fans still seem to show up anyway, even if the Dolphins play like an ACC team. Patriots minus 18.5 this week on the road is a college kind of spread. Well, look, the disincentive is you're going to have players who know what's going on. And 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 trust me, it, it is very different. If you're going to... And, and I say this all the time. Late in the season, once you're out of the playoff chase, go ahead and aspire to be as bad as you can be. What's the difference between 5-11 and 3-13? and 3 and 13? Who cares? You still sucked. But if 3-13 and 13 gets you seven spots higher in the draft order, you'll want that. That's the great disconnect that the NFL will never address. Integrity of the game. Win every game. Even if you're 1-14 going into that last game, try to be 2-14. Every team wants to win. Every team's trying to win. It's win, win, win. And then you see the final draft order, and you're like, man, we're drafting at number seven, but we'd like to be at number three, and we got to give up a lot to go up those four spots. If we had only lost one more game, we wouldn't have had to do that. I, I, it fascinates me that there's like a firewall between those two concepts. But tanking from week one, that trust the process bullshit that Xavier Howard was spewing last week, the NBA style trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. Football players aren't going to go for that. They put too much of themselves into their craft. They're assuming the risk of serious injury all the time. They want to win. They want to be with a team that's trying to win, not a team that is deliberately taking a step back and taking its lumps in the hopes of getting better later because by the time they start getting better, they're not going to be there. All right, I need to wrap this up. Skull Vikings 407. As much as everyone likes to bash on running backs in regards to their worth, we had some pretty solid showings this week. How long before the running back becomes a hot commodity again? I say about four or five years. No, no, it's never going to be a hot commodity because there's always guys you can draft round two, three, four, five, six, seven undrafted who can come in and play. Committing to the run and placing excessive value on running backs who are easily replaceable is two different things. Mike likes dirt. If Pats win number seven and Brady retires, doesn't $20 million to a happy AB. Jared Stidham at starting quarterback. Nikhil Harry in year two. Gordon still in good health. Three young running backs. Good O-line and defense. Sound like a pretty amazing and affordable way to start Dynasty Part 3 and Bill We Trust. Hey, look. I think the Patriots are going to be a handful. The Patriots are going to be among the top of the league for as long as Bill Belichick coaches. All right, I need to wrap this up. If I didn't get to your question, well, I'm scrolling here. What's your favorite thing about living in West Virginia? That's Mike Likes Dirt. I like that little non-football question on this first Tuesday of the real regular season. I, I yeah, Favorite thing? Look, I mean, part of it is, you know, my wife and I are still here because family's here. And 
and, and, and look, I know every family's different, but but my wife and her family is very close and they've accepted me. It took a while, but they've eventually accepted me as part of it. And, you know, when, when you've got that built-in support structure, you, why, do, why do you want to be spread all over the country? If you can figure it out so you're in a place where all those folks are and you can get together and be together and, you know, there's never any fighting, everybody gets along. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're here. The, the family anchors us to West Virginia. And I can live anywhere, Right move anywhere, live anywhere. All I got to do is get to Connecticut on the weekends during football season. I can be wherever I want to be. California, Texas. Trust me, every April, I think, boy, it would be great to live in a state with no income tax. I'm paying a lot for the privilege of living. Now, from, from time to time, I'll show Jill. Hey, look, look at this. You understand? This is, the, this is what we pay for the privilege of living here. You understand that, don't you? Just so you know. But there's no reason to move. And if you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, wherever, you've seen pictures from time to time of, you know, we're right on the edge of nowhere. And, and it's, it's, it's funny because people, people think that, you know, I'm sitting around barefoot on a hay bale playing dueling banjos with a corncob pipe or some shit like that. I mean, it, it, the level of ignorance about what it means to live here and the area where we live in. Like, I don't get up at 5 in the morning to go milk the cow before we do PFT Live. We, we do have a, a fairly developed society where I live. And we're close to Pittsburgh, close to D.C., close to New York. We can get anywhere. I mean, hour and a half from the airport, and you go to Pittsburgh and you can fly anywhere. I mean, I can get door-to-door on the weekends in five hours. I got to Chicago in five hours, door to door. So anyway, I think when you have a close family and everybody lives in the same place, that, that then that's the main reason. But also it is beautiful here. And, you know, it's, the, the taxes aren't crazy. The cost of living, trust me. For the house that we have here, if I was living in Greenwich, it's, you know, it would be a, a significant reduction in acreage, square footage, overall overall quality for the same price. So I got no complaints. All right, what else do we have? There are there are plenty. There's some still some good questions, people. Recliner QB, doesn't Robert Kraft cut out Tom Brady's agent Don Yee when negotiating Tom Brady's contracts on his private jet? How is it different, less illegal, doesn't break any rules than what Jerry's been doing for the last 30 years? Here's the thing. Tom Brady wants to do it. Tom Brady chooses to do it. And Don Yee lets him do it. That's what's different. Jerry Jones, it sounds like, has a preference to get these guys alone and convince them to accept the offer that's on the table and not seek anything more. And they do. That's the difference. That that storyline really went away quickly, didn't it? I think it's troubling. But hey, if it works, you know, just like we were talking about earlier, teams cheat. Teams do what they have to do to get an edge. And for the Cowboys, if they can squeeze these guys into taking less through the force of personality of Steven or Jerry Jones, then so be it. They win. All right, looking for one more. One more before we wrap. 
Ollie TM, you have said the XFL will need stars to make it work. As running backs in the NFL are underpaid and already good enough in college, would it not make sense to go after top college running backs? Also, it's easier to implement a running game than a passing game, so football would still be of a standard. Look, I I don't know. I don't care whether it's right. And, and running backs, running backs have a certain number of carries in their lifetime. And the sooner you can get from a spot where you're not getting paid to a spot where you are getting paid, the better off you are. What the XFL needs to do is start picking off college players after they become stars. Not right out of high school. Let them go to college. Let them become stars in their first year on the field and then go dangle the money to get them to leave and come join you and stay with you until they're eligible to enter the NFL draft. So what you're going to have, if it works out this way, you're going to have some great college players who go get paid, and instead of doing the whole dog and pony, underwear Olympics crap pre-draft, their pre-draft is going to be, go t- go t- turn on the TV and watch my XFL game. That's my pre-draft. Now the question becomes, once you are in that run-up to the NFL draft, do you not play in the XFL and save your body? That's going to be a challenge. And from the XFL standpoint, do you just do year-to-year contracts with these guys? What do you do? But if, if I'm the XFL, I take what I can get. I don't try to lock guys up and have them undermine their future just so they'll come play with me for as long as I can keep them. I take what I can get. If you aren't going to create stars, you better attract stars. And the only way to attract stars, unless you're willing to pay competitive rates as to what the NFL pays, is to get guys who can't be paid by college before they can be paid by the NFL and gladly take what you can get take the Clemson quarterback if you can get him you're working against that that college machine my god that college machine is it's strong man these guys get caught up in it and they you know they get the TV exposure and the facilities are so nice. They're nice because they don't have to pay the players. And it's so funny. We spend the offseason, not we. I'm talking about me. I'm, t- I'm not talking. I'm talking about like just generally the media. You don't hear a lot of stories about the corruption of college football during college football season because, hey, college football is pretty damn good. In the offseason, yeah, it's kind of a problem. Yeah, you know, it creates some headlines. Then comes college football season. Oh, man. Ooh, oh, these games are fun to watch. Talk about a guilty pleasure. I don't enjoy college football as much as I used to because I think these kids should get paid. Even if they're not getting paid by the schools, they should be allowed to get paid for their names, likenesses, etc. Look at all the commercials now that feature college football broadcasters. Why are they featuring so many college football broadcasters? So few NFL, not that I'm looking for commercials, but hey, if somebody wants to put me in one, I'll take the $350,000 watch. Whatever you want to put me in, I'll do it. You pay me, I'll do it. But the thing is, they don't want me or broadcasters generally. I mean, you got to rise to a certain level. It's like Jim Nance level is what gets you in commercials. The NFL level, they, they can get players. They can pay the players to endorse the brands. College level, you can't. So it's because college football is such a big business, And it creates these recognizable names and faces and voices. If you can't compensate the names, faces, and voices of the players, then it's the broadcasters. It's a great... I'm I'm covering the wrong sport. I saw Todd McShay in a commercial. So... and, And so... And here's the thing. 
It's an extension of the machinery, that inherently corrupt machinery that exploits these kids when the people in the college football media realize at a certain level, maybe we should uh, not say anything about the whole, these kids should get paid for their name and likeness and they should be able to do these commercials because then all of a sudden we ain't going to get the commercials. The budget is going to go to the players, not to us. We benefit from the fact that these companies want to be connected to college football and they can't be connected to college football players, so they connect to the college football broadcasters. So anyway, uh, what was my point? Oh, XFL should go after college football players and take what they can get until it's time for them to go to the NFL. That's the way to make the XFL work. Otherwise, it's not going to work. It's got no chance of working. People don't care about spring football. I want the XFL to work, but the epiphany I had at some point after the implosion of the AAF, people don't care about spring football. I go back to 1983, senior in high school, couldn't wait for the USFL. Wait, was it the USA? Yeah, the USFL. I'm getting all the FLs mixed up. The USFL, couldn't wait, was excited. So excited. Watching that first game. Man, it's not football season. Yeah, but... I really want to I really want to like this. I really do. But it's not football season. Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights in football. So wouldn't it be great if there was an XFL game tonight and an XFL game tomorrow night? And then Thursday night NFL, Friday your local high school team or whatever college games on, Saturday full college slate, Sunday NFL, Monday night football. Tuesday night XFL, Wednesday night XFL. It's football season, man. Give me a football game tonight. That's going to be a hell of a lot more successful and has a hell of a lot more potential than spring football that nobody wants. Why do the people who keep forcing spring football on us think we want it? And I'm conflicted because I want more football. I just don't want it in the spring. All right, that's it. I don't know if you wanted an hour and a half of PFTPM today, but you got it. You got it. I'm still trying to figure out the best regular season schedule. I may do one tomorrow. I may not. I'll do one Thursday. Can't do one Friday. I've been saying we're going to do three a week. Now, the PFTOT files with Sims end up in the PFTPM folder or whatever it's called. But uh, let me figure this out. Maybe Wednesday, definitely Thursday. And uh, some Fridays I'll be able to do it. Some Fridays I won't. It's still a work in progress. I get it figured out, and uh, we'll provide you all the information you need. As long as you're subscribing, you'll get it when we do it. But definitely every Tuesday, we're going to look back at the prior week. i got to figure out how best to look ahead to the upcoming week and how many of these, as a practical matter, I can do in any given week in light of everything else that's going on. Thanks, as always, for your time. PFT Live tomorrow. PFT PM whenever we do it. ProFootballTalk.com around the clock. And let me just say, traffic has been through the roof. And I know a lot of it is AB, but... Even as we remove from the the critical mass that happened on Saturday, there's a lot of interest in the NFL right now. And, and I think between the 2016 election and then the stuff that happened in 2017 and 2018, people were kind of coming back to it. The combination of legalized gambling spreading and people were just kind of coming back to the NFL, the 100 season and all that stuff. I have a feeling this is going to be a great, great year. Every step of the way, we'll be here for all the information you need. We're trying to inform you. We're trying to entertain you. We're trying to provide you that companion that you need to help you understand what's happening, give you the best information possible so you can make good decisions if you're gambling, if you're playing fantasy football, or if you just love football and you want to know more about what's going on. Thanks as always. We'll do this again soon. 
You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.